Rose brings home a new boyfriend for their first night of passion, her intense lovemaking once again strikes the heart of her lover. But Al may be hiding more from Rose than just a bad diet. Today, we'll be talking about the episode in a bed of roses. Thank you for the friendship. We've come so far and traveled wide. You're my best friends. I could never lie. I love when we party, dance, and sing. And laugh just doing our thing. No matter the misters that come A bed of roses is a saying that actually first appeared in French literature in the 1200s, but has since become known as a saying meaning a cozy and intimate situation. It's also the title of a 1996 Christian Slater and Mary Stuart Masterson movie and a top five 1993 hit song for Bon Jovi. Have you ever been sent the secret admirer roses? Oh, definitely not. This episode is about the bed of our dear Rose. I just love the wordplay. As the credits are still rolling at the entryway where Rose is trying to find her keys to get in the house, we get some light prop comedy with her unloading of what seems to be the clown car of purses into her date's hands. The lucky fella who got to go out with Rose is Al, played by Richard Rote. Richard got his start acting in 1962 on the classic Car 54, Where Are You? Richard is still alive but hasn't worked since 2009 on 24. At 78 years old, he has a full resume with over 100 acting credits. He was in the original Westworld film and a 90s classic that I adore, Heart and Souls. In addition to movies, he was also on every popular show from the 60s to the 2000s. Everything from Happy Days, La La, Cheers, and Seinfeld. He was also on a little show called Golden Girls playing Kendall, Blanche's boss. Wait a minute. We've got a casting double, just like with Arnie and Miles. So I'm assuming that they really enjoyed having Richard on set, because we do get him back later. Rose eventually finds her key and nervously turns to Al to say goodnight. Al is dressed in his finest Miami date night attire with a tan blazer and a cream shirt unbuttoned ever so seductively, while Rose is in a bit of a matronly pink getup. Rose is so curvy and just a gentle person, I'm never really fond of her wearing anything too rigid, so these shoulder pads and pleated skirt just seem a little too harsh for her. With Al and Rose's brief conversation, we learn a lot about them. That Rose has recovered from almost marrying her co-worker to now dating Al for over a month, and they haven't done it yet. The man is reaching Blanche-level horniness and is desperate to come inside the house. Rose hesitates and asks if they can go to his place, but he lives with his sister and she doesn't sleep that much, so they wouldn't exactly have privacy. When the idea of a hotel comes up, Dorothy style, Al is like, nah, that's not good enough for what we have. But you're cool going into a house full of roommates? I hated dating people that had roommates. I would have given anything for any of those dudes to be like, let's go get a hotel so we can just enjoy being with each other. 
Al kind of sucks here when he pulls a little kid move of, well, I guess we're doomed, while also kind of looking at Rose. Nothing like guilt to really not cheapen the relationship, Al. Eventually, Rose's desires and Al's pressures lead to them going inside, where Rose explains this is her first time bringing a man home to the house with the girls. Rose is clearly nervous and asks all the important questions around a man's sexual proclivities. Is he quiet? According to Time Magazine and Lorraine McCune, who has been studying the sexual noises at Rutgers University since 1987, the grunt comes naturally as it's your body responding to physical exertion. Allowing for the grunts and groans actually allows for more oxygen and more physicality. Those sounds, the moans and groans and uh, are not only physically beneficial, but have evolved to become forms of communication, whether we're enjoying a piece of chocolate or a piece of booty. So while Rose doesn't want to wake her very close in proximity roommates, with all of that information, she might want to reconsider asking her partner to stay quiet. Either way, Al doesn't mind. Noise or no noise, if he can get it, he'll be as quiet as needed. I actually like Richard's playing of Al over his future character, Kendall. He has a youthful charm and he's kind of funny. When making a point about being so quiet, he acknowledges his nearly silently boring outfit. Rose is still very nervous, but is also now equally harny, so she's willing to risk being caught. I know they've been together for a month, but making a plan for him to hide in your room in the morning and leave him there after the girls are gone to play golf seems like a bad idea. The snooping, the stealing. Worries be damned, Rose and Al head to the bedroom. It's early the next morning, and Rose's all-pink blazer and skirt have morphed into the golf version of her outfit as she is now in an all-pink sweater, undershirt, and pants. While Blanche is at the island in a purple and pink golf ensemble, complete with a purple skirt, of course, and Dorothy in a yellow and white striped shirt with yellow sweater and yellow pants, serving us banana realness. As Rose enters the kitchen with a pep in her step and a gleam in her, good morning... Dorothy immediately pounces on the one thing Rose was worried about, the sounds. Dorothy heard a racket and assumed Rose must have been having a dream. I don't know what kind of sounds she was making that Dorothy couldn't surmise she was either having a sexy dream or some sexy alone time or maybe sexy partner time since she's been with the guy for a month. Remember when Rose almost got married after just a few weeks? Let the lady make a racket. Additionally, good roommate rule? If you hear something even vaguely sexual, you don't bring it up with the person. Years ago, my friend Jamie, she had a roommate. She lived downtown and her roommate had a girlfriend and she would tell me about this girlfriend. And I'm like, no, whatever. She's like, you're coming over and you're going to stay the night and you're going to hear what I have to hear. And I did just that. And we like laid in her room with the door open. We're just like having snacks and watching TV or something. And they go to bed and... And Jamie would reenact these sounds, but we're like, okay, you know, with a grain of salt, I, I will perform it for you now <laughs> from down the hall. Hot. And it would get so high and be so, so loud. And you're like, 
that doesn't even sound good. That's not that's not fun sounding. No, it's like they're doing like a pass out game or something. <laughs> <laughs> that the kids are doing on TikTok or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Dorothy finishes her questioning before Blanche hops in with her guesses that Rose was making love. But no, she insists it was only a nightmare. This naturally leads to a conversation between the ladies about their preferred sounds. Blanche is unsurprisingly on the team of scream it out. Dorothy, unsurprisingly, is like, noise? For what now? According to author Mara Altman, silent sexing isn't for the average person, but there's nothing wrong with it. Perhaps you're quiet because you're just in the moment, experiencing all the sensations your body is going through. Perhaps you're missing out because you aren't getting riled up enough to need oxygen. If your partner isn't taking you to pound town, that's not your fault. But of course, now this goes for everyone, don't ever fake an orgasm or a sound. What is that? Blanche's perm is high and tight as she gets in Dorothy's face about her silence during sex. You'd think with her porn-loving mother, she'd been exposed to the sounds, but she felt that they were never really ladylike, nor did the sex warrant any kind of hoopla. Please re-listen to the last paragraph regarding lack of pounding. Blanche then changes the conversation from sexual conversations to dirty talk. Coco, how do you feel about dirty talk? Hey, it's Coco. Yes, I yes, I know. I just asked you a question. In the moment, a little, maybe, and I mean like just to just like you're putting a little bit of seasoning on something. And I mean like that's it. I might say one dirty thing. I might. You I might not even you might not know anything's happened. You might know not even know I'm there. I am quiet. The end. Yeah, dirty talk is well Until the end. I'm very quiet. And then I'm not. And we've talked about this for a long time. I feel like role play and all of that. It's too. Don't need it. It's too much. No judgment. Go for no. it. Like if you're able. I, I sometimes envious like Blanche who can dirty talk or sexting or role playing any of those things. It's like that. That seems like it has some fun elements to it. But no, thank you. No. I, I would I would laugh. You know, like when you were talking about having an imaginary friend, mm -hmm. it's the same thing. Yeah. I can't I can't make the leap. I can't go there. Yeah. I you know, the I think maybe something I could do is pretending to meet each other at, at a bar and you're strangers. Oh, that's the right, one right. thing I could pretend to do, I think. And do it well. You're too much of a realist. I am. I like to I like that I know you. And you want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Listener. <laughs> Before the girls can open up about their dirty talking techniques, Sophia arrives and is in the best golfing outfit in the house. Her yellow visor baseball cap combo goes great with her brighter yellow polo shirt under a bright blue cardigan paired with a khaki skirt. She looks youthful and playful. As the ladies pause their adult conversation because an even older adult has entered the room, Sophia gets next to Rose and turns to her before saying, there's a man in your bed. Rose stammers, panics, and lies. Blanche and Dorothy give a bit of an ooh and call her out for the noises they heard. Blanche then smirking with a Rose got lucky, which is so fun to hear her say because it seems like that's such an 80s raunchy high school comedy phrase. Getting lucky is just that. Having sex, the luck of finding someone willing to do that nastiness with you. As the room swirls with giddy giggles and callings outs, Rose is hit with a brick of information from Sophia. 
Rose may have gotten lucky, but her date, not so much. He's dead. Rose argues back. She just left that room. He's not dead. Sophia counters. She took some of Rose's laundry into the room, saw there was a man. Thinking nothing of it, she greeted him, but there was no response. He's just shy, Rose explains. Shy and dead and decomposing in a nearly 100-degree Miami day. Somebody call the police. Sophia's casual confidence about the whole situation makes it clear to the rest of the girls that something is definitely wrong with the man in Rose's room. She first claims to not want to wake him, to which Sophia says, you could light firecrackers in his nostrils, you aren't going to wake him. Well, who could that be? Why, it's my own mother and senior correspondent, Shelley. Welcome back, Ma. Well, thank you for having me. Hello, hello. You have a story that is applicable to not only this episode, but earlier in the season, the Rose the Prude episode, where I actually talked about this, but now you're here to give us the real dirt, where you learned that the day, well, not the day, but when Grammy got sick and had congestive heart failure, that morning, her and Grampy, at 80-something years old, had been intimate. Been doing the deed. Uh, she actually suffered a, a heart attack that morning after. But Oh, it was? I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. No, she had a full-on heart attack. When they called me, said she had and had been transported to the hospital. I didn't know that at first at all. But when my oldest brother showed up at the hospital, he wanted to share with him that fact. So Because th- he was feeling guilty, right? I think he had a lot of guilt from it and... Of course, knowing my daddy could have been bragging. <laughs> oh no! Uh, I took. I it, feel really sad about it, but it's pretty cool. I took it to be. I don't know if it was just factual, and it was what it was. But anyway, he felt that the oldest male should know this. But I, I do think he had guilt, like did he cause it or that kind of thing. Common sense would tell you you didn't. That if her heart's in that condition, she could be doing the dishes, and this is going to happen. Yeah, I think it was like right before the 60th anniversary or something. So the whole thing is with Rose. This is now in. In today's episode, this is the second time it's happened to her, that after doing that, her partner has died. Because they still had that relationship where it's just the two of them and getting along and loving life and doing what they want to do. Yeah. So so I liked that part. Were you you mortified at all, even as an adult, but you're like, that's still my parents? No, not at all. No, not a thought. Because I don't know why. I just didn't. It was like... Who cares? Yeah. I, I, I really remember th- even at the time thinking, good for them. I'm glad to know they're still. Yeah, it's aspirational. Don't know if once, a, <laughs> once a year, once a month, once a week, once a day. I have no clue. But this was the day, whatever yeah. whatever that time span was, this was the day. She, they actually, this is after, and she went downstairs. Um, and then when she got downstairs is when she suffered a heart attack. So it was not during, thankfully, because yeah, that, that would be really... horrible for everyone. Yeah. Hopefully at some point, you know, he's so narcissistic that I'm sure he didn't take it bad for very long because it would be. Oh, yeah. Especially mm. for the guy, I think. Right. In Rose's scenario, it's like the man, you know, is kind of seen more as like doing more physical work. Right. And so it's like that guilt of he was doing that. And so, yeah, knowing Grampy was probably like... <laughs> Right. I did that. I get, uh, get me in an old folks' home so I can keep doing that. <laughs> right. 
far as I know, they didn't fool around in the hospital, but she, she was there, <laughs> and he was there a lot. As far as I know, that would have been the, the final <laughs> act. But uh, anyway, my favorite thing was that she would be watching Golden Girls. And she would, every day she was talking about an episode. And her favorite ones, of course, was when the brother came home. And oh, yeah. That was by far her favorite. But she was a huge Golden Girls fan and, and could quote every, mm-hmm. something out of every episode. And we ended up talking about that a lot. So that was kind of fun how this ties in. Oh, that, that. is cool. It all, mm-hmm. it all comes back to Golden it's Girls. It's all full circle. <laughs> it's all about the Golden Girls. Blanche then approaches Rose, and for a brief second, you think she's going to say, okay, let's go check and make sure if he's okay. But no, she's not interested in support. She's interested in getting the dead man out of her house. Flicking her wrists at her, Rose pushes back, as does Dorothy. Sophia stands firm. She's seen a lot of death in her time at Shady Pines, and she knows a dead man when she sees one. Rose refuses to go because she's scared. Blanche won't because she claims to have never seen a dead person, not even her own husband. But then she talks about how she won't watch the news for the same reason, because they'll be talking about other countries in conflict and then surprise you with a picture of a dead person. But if you've never seen a body, how do you know that happens on the news, Blanche? I think she's been caught in a lie. I mean, is that our first, that's our second death? Yeah, I think so, yeah. You know, and it's, we're only a few episodes in. It's like, that's life. Yeah, these golden girls are dropping bodies. <laughs> Especially right. Rose. Yeah. It's Dorothy to the rescue as she's willing to go check to get this nonsense over with. But she quickly returns asking for company because she's kind of scared. Sophia, being from Sicily and a retirement home, has seen it all and is willing to help the cause. With a nervous pitch to her voice, Rose continues to convince the girls, but mostly herself, that Al is fine. I guess after that fiasco with Dr. Newman, Rose isn't interested in telling her friends about who she is dating, and she doesn't want them inviting him to dinner without her permission. So Blanche starts to inquire about the grunting man that might be dead, and Rose tells her his name is Al, but more importantly, he works with diamonds. Blanche is devastated at the idea that the man that could have been her hookup to a diamond connection might be dead. Buying the farm is a phrase that evolved from military pilots in World War II. Dying in service was like paying with your life, so someone would buy a plot or he bought it. There are three evolutionary tracks to the phrase that led to buying the farm, according to phrases.org, one being that if a pilot crashed on a farm, the government would have to pay for it. The second is that service people would sometimes talk about getting back from service and buying a farm to raise their families on. By dying, they get to have the farm of their dreams, per se, but, you know, because they're dead. And third is that the family of a pilot that died would get a payout which could allow for coverage of houses and purchases of a farm. Now it basically just means someone, military or not, has died. It's confirmed by Sophia and Dorothy. Al is dead. Rose is, of course, confused about his farm ownership status. Realizing she doesn't know when Al passed, Rose becomes upset, reasonably so, that she spent the night in bed next to her dead lover. Blanche doesn't find that to be much of a big deal. She sleeps with dead guys all the time. But she's meaning more like underperformative than actually dead. So I feel like it was in the morning. That he died. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, I like to to think that he just slept... 
they had they had a great time. Yeah. He slept all night. He the best sleep up. of his life. He never woke up. Yeah. And then he, as he was dreaming, gone. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. So he was warm and with her and held each other and then yeah. drifted off. There you go. Once it is determined that there is a dead body in their house, things take kind of an odd but necessary for the storyline turn. Dorothy asks if Al Beatty ever talked about local family. He had his insomniac sister who still had her maiden name of Beatty. So they will just look in the phone book and find her. I'm sorry. I know if there's a body in a situation like this, you can just call the coroner, but I'm calling the police. I want things documented. I want reports. I want everything above board. Well, then I guess I shouldn't call the cops. hey For more on my feelings about botched police work, please check out my other show, Murder in the Rain. <laughs> Not only do I want documentation, I have no interest in being the person to report the death to a loved one. Against all good judgment, Rose has decided to make the call herself. Blanche actually thinks this is a good idea and gives us a glimpse into her own backstory. She shares that a wrong way and probably drunk driver hit George head on and that's how he died. She found out when the police called her put her on hold, and then came back to tell her the news while crunching on chips. Rue delivers the lines with sass and humor, but it's a really sad story. While the audience laughter is fun and makes it a more lighthearted moment, I do wish it had been given the same sincerity as when Rose told Dorothy about how Charlie died during the heart attack episode. Blanche having such a horrible experience is honest and so upsetting. Although, I wouldn't have been mad at the hold music being Herb Albert. The girls are horrified at Blanche having to have dealt with that, and Rose agrees that she will make the call for that exact reason. Unlike the officer that talked to Blanche, Rose won't eat Doritos. She gives us whatever the opposite is of a fun fact when sharing that she doesn't like chips. Excuse you? Her reasoning, though, they fall in her bra. If I stopped eating all forms of food that ended up in my bra, well, maybe that's a new diet idea. I'm going to invent that. So no more chips, no more popcorn, chocolate, brownies, ice cream, cereal, french fries, shredded cheese, M&Ms, peanuts, spaghetti, breakfast burritos, soup. Blanche goes to fetch the phone book for the Boca Raton area, which is where Al lives with his sister. But Boca Raton is over an hour away from Miami. And there's something weird going on here with him offering to go to the house, but then not that first night. I think something's up with Al. Realizing there is a certain taintedness to her room, Rose starts a laundry list of what she'll need, like a new bed, new sheets, blanket, and maybe, per Sophia's suggestion and my solution when there's a spider in the house, we just burn it down. And yes, Rose, you are warranted in getting a new bed. When people die, even if they're in that one location for only a short while, there are going to be fluids and evacuations that take place that mean you will need to make arrangements with specific facilities for getting rid of that mattress. While the ladies don't need to rush necessarily, they might want to get going on those calls because if Al was an organ donor, they might still be in the window of viability. Speaking of transplants, Al's recent hair transplant now seems like a waste of money. Seeing how hair transplants were fairly new, they'd only been around about 40 years in 85, and they were an expensive procedure. So I agree with Rose. Also, bald is beautiful. 
As Rose continues through her bedroom makeover list, Blanche has found the only Beatty last name in Boca Raton. Rose is now burdened with making a dreaded phone call to the sister of the dead man in her bed that she killed with her black widow vagine. I wonder if she'll say something like, I asked him if he'd had enough, big boy, before he fell back and I realized something was wrong. Oh, wait, that was Matthew McConaughey's mother. Coco, you introduced me to this story while I was writing yesterday. And it's horrific. Yeah, I didn't remember the exact details, but I knew that that Matthew McConaughey's dad had died during sex and that his mom had said some very weird things about it. Really weird boundary stuff for a a person to say to the public. Or their own children. To their own children. <laughs> And the dad had said for years, and Matthew McConaughey shared this, that for years my dad said, I'm going to go making love to your mother. And then he did. Cool, dad. Yeah. Thanks like, for telling me could that. Could you not dad. talk to me about that? And you, why, why did you tell me that more than once? Also, I have to worry about you guys having sex and like, no, thank you. But now I have to be like, oh, gosh, I hope they aren't for that reason. And then they were like, he called his shot. He knew. Yeehaw. Yeah. And then, yeah, the mom, she was on a, a a talk show or was being interviewed for something. And she's like, oh, yeah, I asked him if he'd had enough, big boy. And then he fell backwards and something was wrong. <laughs> it's like there are limits to the information. We don't need all that. All right, all right, all right. Talking Rose off the ledge of panic, Dorothy says to tell the sister he was over for a visit. You don't need to go into the details, Mrs. McConaughey. So Rose calls. She tries to verify she's talking to the right person, but things just aren't quite adding up. It turned out she hadn't called a Miss Beatty with a brother named Al. She had contacted a Mrs. Beatty with a husband named Al. Well, don't we feel less bad for the dead man now? So it turns out that Mr. I can't go to my house because of my sister was actually a I'm cheating on my wife and can't go home. Glad to see the relatability in dating in your 50s during the 80s and dating in your 20s in the 2000s. We get a mini plot whoopsie that references last week's episode. While last week, well, I guess it's been over a month in Golden Girls land, Blanche said she hadn't ever knowingly dated a married man. But in this moment, she says, why do they lie? Don't they know we'll sleep with them anyway? Like she has knowingly been with a married man. Such a tease, that one. Even in regards to her moral compass, she teases. Now Rose has a whole new dilemma. She has a dead man to get rid of and a wife to break the news to. Sophia suggests she makes life easier by just laying him out on the lawn. I don't think so. It's going to be 98 degrees today. Rose is overcome with grief and anxiety. This will be the hardest thing anyone's ever done. Well, not according to Blanche. You know what's more difficult than telling a married woman her husband is dead after he cheated on her with you? Telling your pregnant sister you're pregnant with her husband's baby. Dorothy and Rose are appalled, but they're also wrong and very judgmental. It wasn't Blanche that did that. It was on one of her many evening soap operas at the time, Dallas or Dynasty or Knott's Landing or Falcon Crest or Billy or Bobby. 
Blanche wouldn't have done that. Her brother-in-law was too ugly. Adding to her sudden supportive nature, Blanche says, hey, his wife is going to be so mad, she'll wish him dead, and you can make her happy by being like, that part's already done. We cut to a front yard lanai at the Beatty's beautiful and plant-filled Boca Raton residence. If you thought the exclamation mark on the girl's door was something, wait until you get a load of the doorknob at the Beatty's house. It's the size of a semi-truck steering wheel, hammered gold, and in the middle of the door. It's some real middle-earth stuff. As Mrs. Beatty, a.k.a. Priscilla Morrill, opens the door, she recites her no solicitor's speech. She doesn't want to buy makeup from Avon, she already has a mop, and she will not buy another encyclopedia just so her son can look up naughty body parts. In this universe, people are very quick to, to no thank you, little boy, we already get the paper. That's true. Yes. That's true. No, There's no greeting system in Miami or no. Boca Raton, apparently. Yeah, if you're not expecting the person. I don't know you. I'll just slam it. You're getting the door. Yeah, I'm spinning around and slamming it. I hate middle of the door doorknobs. They seem so cumbersome. They make the door look 800 pounds. And it's like, how do you, you can't do a peek. You got the whole door open. You can't, you can't give a little... Just yeah, a little. Hey, who it is it? In the middle of the door, too. You need to to do a peek. You got to be right next to the yeah, right next to the edge. Yeah, you open it up and you just do a little. And you say, "Who are you? Are you telling me Avon?" The story of Mrs. Beatty's son looking up genitalia in the encyclopedia reminded me of one of my favorite student stories. We had this kid who he was in a separate space. It was a mental health facility. He had an iPad and. Our rules weren't super strict on them. We'd check them every few minutes and make sure, you know, no music and playing appropriate games and all of that. Obviously, he struggled with behavior. He was in our facility, but he was a good kid. He was one of those kids that was just a charmer and every all the adults. He, he got away with a little bit more because he just was such a charming kid. And so I, I was watching him and he had kind of built a little fort and he was on his iPad and it's like, OK, whatever. And then we checked it later and the Google search... <laughs> It's still one of my favorite like pictures that I have is a screenshot of this. And so the Google search for like an hour is body ports, nuked booty ports, <laughs> lesbians, girl lesbians, uh, teens in shorts. Uh, I mean, just on and on. And we just were dying and it was just so funny so then obviously the rules changed that like if a kid is on a device we have to be able to see it and he never got to anything because they were all protected and stuff but I mean for years we'd all just be like are you trying to look at my nuked booty parts <laughs> we should call our our holes body ports I mean it made sense Yeah, it is a body port yeah. this is my food port your other thing port too Priscilla Morrill had over 60 acting credits to her name, all of them coming from television. She had multiple episodes on beloved series like Coach, Newhart, All in the Family, and The Mary Tyler Moore Show, where she played Lou Grant's wife. I'm pretty sure fate brought Priscilla to the Golden Girls. She worked on both Maude and a little show called Dorothy. With Mrs. Beatty in a purple and blue plaid house dress and Mrs. Beatty's side piece holding up the lavender law in her I'm-in-the-business-of-bad-news suit, the ladies entered the extravagant home. When Rose mentions she's there because of Mrs. Beatty's husband, it's immediately clear she's been here before. She lives a life of a pattern. 
Her husband is unfaithful, dumps the girl. The girl shows up at the house as part of her revenge plot, but they're dismissed by the cold and probably very deeply hurt and distraught Mrs. Beatty. And you made a good point about how rich they are in that house. I think that Mrs. Beatty is filling her house with vases, vases. Fancy Chinese vases. Huge vases for every lover her husband takes. Oh, it's almost like a big urn in your face. Yeah. Al's trajectory in this story is kind of funny. He starts out sweet, just wanting to get some nookie from his girlfriend. Then he dies. So you're like, oh, poor guy. Then he's married. So you're like, fine, go die in a stranger's bed, you jerk. But when you hear Mrs. Beatty say that the first time he cheated on her was during their honeymoon, well... You wish he was alive so he could die again. It's one thing to have an open relationship, but it's quite another to not communicate with your partner, make healthy, agreed-upon boundaries, and to just philander all over town. Also, Mrs. Beatty, what is going on in your department that you know this is how your husband behaves, but you're staying? You seem bitter, so you weren't okay with his behavior, but you tolerated it, and you deserve better. But maybe you're just as much of a lying jerk as he is, and you don't. Who knows? But when your rabbits look up to your husband as an impressive and active lover, you know something is up. The rabbit joke is really more a reference to reproduction than it is to sexual partners. The doing it like rabbits comparison comes from the fact that rabbits can reach breeding age as early as three months of age. For the next 10 or so years of their lives, they can get pregnant at pretty much any time. Being pregnant for only a month and having a litter between four and 12 kits, aka baby bunnies, and the ability to get pregnant as soon as the day after birthing babies, female rabbits can give birth to as many as a thousand rabbits in its lifetime. While they aren't birthing them, the males are obviously equally responsible for the swift population building. Mrs. Beatty asks personal questions about Rose and Al's relationship before Rose cuts her off to say that her bad news isn't about that, that he's cheating. It's that last night, Al had a heart attack and died. This sends Miss Beatty into a tizzy of denial. She must have the wrong person. Then Priscilla gets the moment Blanche deserved when talking about George. A quiet audience, a slow zoom in. She's talking so the news doesn't hit her. She decides she's just going to talk forever so that it'll never be true. Then she breaks down. How could this have happened? He was a runner and a jerk, but a decent man, a caring, special man. Rose opens up about the fact that this is the second man she has killed with that bang-bang poon-tang. As Rose shares more and becomes more distraught, it is soon the grieving Mrs. Beatty that is comforting the woman that was sleeping with her husband. It's a funny, lighthearted moment in an otherwise uncomfortable episode. Mrs. Beatty tells Rose to get over herself so she can have the space to grieve her husband, and they hug it out. Back to the house, we go to find Blanche and Dorothy in the kitchen. Dorothy is still in her yellow golfing outfit, while Blanche has moved on with her day to throw on an apron over her golf shirt and shorts to create a salad dressing, a creamy, zesty Italian dressing with only one calorie. I do have a question about this part, though. Didn't you guys have a dead guy in your house earlier? Is he still there? Has the coroner come already? Did you have to go answer questions at the police station? Are we all just over that whole thing? 
I'm pretty sure seeing Blanche attempt anything with the word Italian in it would give Sophia a heart attack. So it's a good thing she's having Dorothy taste test her single calorie dressing. And it sucks. Dorothy then gives us the live, laugh, love we deserve, which is don't trust anyone that says no calories, no charge, and let's just lay down on the bed to watch TV. Because, you know, one thing will lead to another. As the ladies sit to have their salad, Rose enters after her Boca Raton trip, and she declares, obviously drawn to the idea of celibacy, that she's going to become a nun. In the opposite of a plot whoopsie, but actually really good continuity, Rose opens up about this being the second time a man has died during her clearly very intense lovemaking. Dorothy reacts with a knowing and caring glance while Blanche is shocked. That's because she hadn't heard about Charlie yet. After learning that information, Blanche is only even more intrigued. She wants to know what the heck Rose does in the bedroom. Rose claims nothing, which makes Blanche say, well, this is a valid point. Maybe you're doing nothing means the men are doing all the hard work and that's why they're having heart attacks. To comfort Rose, Blanche tells the story of the woman she knew that was married seven times and six of her husbands died because she put glass in their salads and it tore up their stomachs, not because they were out of croutons. The timing of this salad story as they eat a salad seems a bit made up to me. It's all just kind of weird. Inspired by Blanche's storytelling, Rose takes us to St. Olaf, sharing that a woman she knew had run over her husband with a combine, spreading bits of him across the cornfield. When Blanche can't take any more of the gruesome details, Rose starts in on how small the coffin was. You know, for the bits. It is now square dancing night? There is no telling how long it has been since Al died and Rose is still being a homebody. As much as I'm one to go out and wear costumes, the idea of Miami square dancing is a bit nightmarish. So I'm with Rose and her book and comfy robe on this one. Speaking of costumes, Blanche is in a light blue skirt with a ruffled bottom and fringe all over her light, light pink silky top. Dorothy has a red and black plaid sweater that looks hot already, along with a black skirt and red neckerchief. But sticking to the law of purple is Sophia, who enters after Rose tells the ongoing saga of the woman that ran over her husband with the farm equipment, and she has on a dark blue skirt, brown belt with an appropriately oversized buckle, purple cowboy shirt, and a bolo tie and cowboy hat. The girls all try to talk Rose into going out, Sophia even offering the visual entertainment of watching her try to eat corn on the cob with her dentures, but nothing is working. Blanche and Dorothy are double-checking that Rose feels safe when Sophia makes the rude but maybe accurate joke of, well, if someone breaks in, all she has to do is sleep with them. The ladies are gone and Rose has dozed off on the couch when we hear the doorbell ring. It's Mrs. Beatty. She was so appreciative of how kind and gentle Rose was that she wanted to come by to tell her something. Al's terrible diet led to his arteries being nearly completely blocked. His time was up, and if he had been fooling around with Rose or any of his other lovers, he was going to die. Mrs. Beatty was just grateful. Al wasn't alone when he died, and he was doing what he loved to do the most. Other women. Joining the girls on the lanai, we see that Blanche and Dorothy are involved in some sort of card game. 
Dorothy with her popped collar and purple casual long-sleeved tee matching the coziness of Sophia's yellow pajamas, or perhaps it's a house dress, and Blanche's pink hoodie and sweatpants, which has the strings tied up in a cute little bow, the sweatshirt equivalent of a heart over an eye in someone's name. But of course, even with sweatpants, she still has on her kitten heels. Once again, Sophia is called out for her cheating, as she is clearly hovering over the ladies and implying who should play what. Rose comes out in what can only be described as a pilgrim's fever dream of a dress that definitely had the same pattern of the matching dresses my mom and I had when I was about five. Rose's dress is forest green with a black floral pattern with huge white cuffs and a white collar that goes down to her nips. I know that sounds harsh, but it's validated by Blanche's, was the shop girl a pilgrim? Dorothy tells Blanche to shush. It's been three months since Al has died and Rose has called up the man that survived a role in the sack with her, Arnie. They're going away for the weekend, just as they did before. He's her comfortable stranger. So she's not as worried, but she's worried. The girls tell her not to worry and to only do what she's comfortable with. We don't get a lot of zingers in this episode, but as Rose goes to leave, she says, well, I'm off, which gives us a Sophia totally. It must be the end of the weekend as the girls are in the kitchen cooking and speculating on if Rose was doing okay and if she had once again done it with Arnie. Staying casual and yellow, Dorothy is giving us an elevated banana look with a striped yellow top while Blanche has a teal collared shirt and light pants. They talk about how difficult, or not, it was to have sex after their relationships ended, when Rose arrives in a mauve suit with a pink and white striped collared shirt. As the girls ask how things went, Rose takes the opportunity to mess with them. She claims that she did sleep with Arnie, and he died. Then a cop came, and she told him about her habit of killing partners, so she slept with him, and he died. She barely gets the last part out without a laugh before losing it and telling the girls, with their jaws on the ground, that she's just kidding. She and Arnie did sleep together, and he was okay, and the weekend was wonderful. It feels a bit like a surprising reaction that Blanche and Dorothy get so upset about Rose's joke. They both get up and storm out of the room. I really wish they had added a bit where the girls come back in having pranked that they were upset and that they're all just glad that she was able to overcome her fears. Because that's the end of the episode. It's kind of a funny, weird moment. Not as fun and celebratory as it could have been, though, especially after such a heavy episode. When it comes to being intimate, everyone has fears. There's physical and emotional vulnerabilities that can make for an anxiety-filled experience. But as long as you talk to your partner about important needs or boundaries you have, you'll be starting on the right foot. Remember to stay up to date on your CPR training, make sure you go to the doctor for regular checkups, and make sure to call the police if your lover buys a farm while you're lying in bed together. As always, thank you for listening, and thank you for being a friend. I've mentioned often that I'm in the Facebook Golden Girls group, Cuter Than an Interuterine. Well, on that page, I found one David Hines. He's an artist that had posted some of his Golden Girls pieces and asked for feedback. For the most part, that group is so supportive and uplifting that David decided to sell his Golden Girls art. Now you can pick up his unique and eye-catching pieces, each girl with a classic quote at the bottom, at etsy.com shop slash David Hines Designs. Besides the girls, he has stunning and simple male figure outlines, 
sorry, no Mr. Septembers here, Zodiac Prince, Schitt's Creek, and so much more. So grab your internet device and get to shopping at etsy.com slash shop slash David Hines Designs. That's D-A-V-I-D-H-Y-N-E-S-D-E-S-I-G-N-S. Get to shopping. Put my phone back on to airplane mode. With Alan Ro- oh, screaming. According to author Mara, 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 Mara Altman. According to author Mara, <laughs> Mara, 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 Mara. Yeah. Like Rooney Mara. The okay. girl with the dragon tattoo. According to author, <laughs> according to author Mara, oh my gosh. According to author Mara, Mara, according according to author Mara, Mara, Mara. (laughs) Rooney Mara, Rooney Mara, according to author (laughs) Mara, oh my God, I think you're cursed. Mara Erlman. The men are asking a lot of the ladies, too, and always have been. And so if she's an older lady just being like, can you can you do something? I can't. (laughs) It's okay. Walker told me I have AIDS. Classic. So good. I do wish it had been given the same sincerity as when Rose told. (laughs) Choking on my own mouth. Maybe he knew that that was going to be a hot slice. Blanche is in a light blue skirt with a ruffled bottom and fringe all over her very light cut. Coco here. I saw something cool in the background. It's a little green pitcher by the kitchen sink. It might be shaped like a bird. Also, the garlic is back on the wall. Also, there was a cool bowl that was in the shape of a head of lettuce. Big lettuce plate, too. Big lettuce leaf plate. Huge. And how you doing, little partner? Fine. And it's little visitor now. <laughs> Adewayoli is how you say it in Cherokee. Oh, well, pardon my French, but uh, I'll be damned. <laughs> Walker told me I have AIDS. Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always be my sister. Sister.